I want to begin by thanking all of you that watch us every week online. And I've had the thrill this week of meeting a lot of people that normally watch us online, but came some from several states away to attend the men's conference. And it was a powerful event. Uh, Bob Goff, to sum up what he said in three sessions in one word, Jesus. He's obsessed with Jesus and thinks we should be too. He wants us to think and act and talk and be like and point to Jesus. And my big takeaway was to be more content with Jesus. How sufficient he is, how rich I am in Jesus. And I think that's important because I think most Christians struggle with not being content enough. Now, ironically, most churches struggle with being too content, with being okay with the fact that a lot of the people in our churches aren't obsessed with Jesus. And so one of the reasons I'm doing this series called Fellowship is I feel like as your pastor, I should lay out for you what The win is what we want for you. It's not just to like Jesus. It's to become like Jesus. I relate to the story of the mom washing dishes, looking out the window to the backyard, and there's her son out there reading his Bible to their family cat. He thinks, now how sweet is that? I'm not going to disturb him. But a few moments later, she hears this terrible screeching sound, and she looks out there, and the boy is trying to put the cat in a bucket of water. She says, son, what are you doing? I'm trying to baptize the cat. But son, cats don't like water. Well, he should have thought of that before he joined my church. You see, (laughs) it's just responsible to let people know if they're going to be a part of a church, what the expectations are. So let me be clear. The win for us as your leaders in this church is not to get you in here to like Jesus. The win is how we're in here to learn about, to love on, to Worship and go from here out there being like Jesus. That's the win. The problem a lot of churches make is that if we just give good information, it's going to guarantee transformation. And that's not always true. We learn the cliches. We buy the necklaces and we get the wristbands. We like Jesus, but are we being like Jesus? I remember the story of a bunch of kids from a church in the city that went out to a camp for the week, a Christian camp. Now, most of these kids have never been out in the country. So they're on a nature hike, and after a couple of miles, the guide stops and says, Okay, kids, let's see what you know about the woods. Do you know what is small and furry, has a big bushy tail? Climbs trees and stores nuts for the winter. And the kids just look at him with blank faces. Come on, kids, you know this. What is small and furry, big bushy tail. Climbs trees, stores nuts for the winter. Finally, a little boy raises his hand and says, Well, I really think it's a squirrel, but I guess I'll say Jesus. (laughs) See, we, we, we learn to spout and repeat the cliches. But you hear me saying now for the third week in a row, stop being a Christian and start following 
Jesus. This is the mission of our church. It's why we exist. By now, you should have this sentence memorized. That our church exists to make and grow followers of Jesus. Through worship, community, and service. Now, we talked about worship last time. I call it follow up. And we'll talk about service next time, following through. But I want to talk today about following around. Why is community essential in producing real followers of Jesus? Three simple statements. Here's the first. Because following is relational. When Jesus said, follow me, he was not recruiting Gorilla warriors. He was building a platoon. He did not say, I will build a bunch of Christians. He said, I will build my church and I'm going to confront a popular Western consumer Christianity myth. Jesus never said, all you need is a personal relationship with God. Because following Jesus is a team sport. I can't find any time in the Gospels Jesus gave private discipling lessons. Now, he talked to people in private, the woman at the well, Nicodemus. But once you became a follower, you joined a club. I can't find a time in the Gospels Jesus ever sent anybody on an individual assignment. Fellowship demanded fellowship. And if you're going to do life with Jesus, you need to do life like Jesus. And Jesus lived in community. Now think about this. If there was ever a person who could do life well just with God, it would have been Jesus. And that's not how he did life. Now this is a hard sell in a culture that idolizes individualism. Even though we have more ways to communicate than ever, we're more isolated than ever before. Just walk into a restaurant this week and notice how many people, even families, will sit at a table together and almost the whole time they're together, each one of them stares at a phone. A few years ago, Google published this database of books printed from 1500 to 2008. I mean, literally 5 million books. And so this journalist for the New York Times did some research on what words have become more popular and less popular in the last 50 years of publishing. Now here's what he noticed. The words that have become more popular are all about individualism, self-actualization, personalized. The words that have become less popular are communal words, community, share common good. The second thing he noticed is that there's been a marked decline in words in the last 50 years that promote moral virtue. Words like modesty or honesty or patience or wisdom or even evil. So here's what he wrote in the New York Times. This is not a Christian article, okay? So the story I'd like to tell is this, that over the past half century, society has become more individualistic. As it's become more individualistic, it's also become less morally aware. Because social and moral fabrics are inextricably linked. 
So here's a secular journalist saying we can't become a more decent and noble society if we stay on the path of growing further and further apart from each other. Now, it manifests itself in church. In the, well, I love Jesus, I just don't like church spirit. You hear it all the time, especially among young people. Just read their blogs. Well, I just had to leave the church to become more spiritual. And here's the problem with that. Another Western Christian myth I'm about to blow out of the water. Jesus didn't come to promote spirituality. He came to build a society that he called the kingdom of God. That's why he was a lover and not a loner. And if you're going to imitate Jesus, you can't isolate yourself from people and boast about how spiritual you're getting. From the very start, followers of Jesus understood his invitation as a communal one. 1 John 3. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. In other words, the moment you became a Christian, that's what you heard. You're going to do life after Jesus, with other people, they're not going to always be easy to like or love. You're going to have to try to go there anyway. It's not one another fellowship. Unless it's each other fellowship. Got an email recently from a young wife. She married a wonderful man that All his life has had a very, very serious blood disorder. It required him to go to Houston this uh, past year for a bone marrow transplant. He stayed in the hospital for months. And so she writes this email and she says, you know, I'm part of that generation that said, well, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. She said, that's until I needed community. If it wasn't for the calls and the texts and the taking care of the kids and the food and the encouragement, I wouldn't have made it. And she said, I've learned how important it is, and I hope this experience will help me do for others what somebody had to do for me. Now, I'm not promoting a program today, because there's no one way to do community. But there's no way to follow Jesus without it. And that's what some of you are trying to do. And you might think, well, it just hasn't happened yet. Well, it's not going to just happen. You don't stumble into community. Community is intentional. Community is pursued. Community is a deliberate commitment. Look at this verse. It's the very first thing we know about the early church. Now, I want you to notice there were four priorities of the very first Christians. Notice what they were. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We would agree doctrine's important, wouldn't we? And to fellowship. And to the breaking of bread. We think taking the Lord's Supper is important, don't we? And to prayer. Now, isn't it interesting, we think three of those things are non-negotiable, but one of them is optional. They didn't. I like how it reads from the message. They committed themselves 
to the life together. Because we all know you can be at church and not be in church. That gathered does not equal connected. Well, I go to a Bible class. Well, community's not a Bible class. I mean, you can be in a Bible class, but you can be in a Bible class and not have community. You can be in a small group and not have community. Now, I wish everybody was in a small group. But that doesn't mean you have community. Community is a kind of committed connection that is helping people grow more like Jesus. It's more than attending. It is intending. It's not just meeting. It's meeting for the purpose of one anothering one another. So I just want to ask you, do you have community? Now, I didn't ask if you're in a Bible class or a small group. Do you have community? With whom do you follow around? Now, I'm going to give you two easy questions to help you answer. Here's the first. Am I caring for anybody? Because most of what we call fellowship in the modern church doesn't ask us to go beyond minimum daily requirements. Fellowship is not talking about the weather at the playscape while your kids play. It's not sharing a cup of coffee and talking about the cowboys up at the porch. The best way I can illustrate this is a story I've told before. I'm in college. I always wanted to learn to snow ski. So some friends and I made a plan to take a trip between semesters. I asked for ski stuff for Christmas. And the trip got canceled because of bad snow. So I take all my ski stuff. I'm disappointed. I go back to school. School starts. And a big storm comes and dumps a bunch of snow in New Mexico. And some buddies and I get together and say, let's skip a few days of school and go ski it. Now everybody under earth. Team, just forget what I just said. So we go to New Mexico, and, and I've never skied before. And the first day was a first morning was a blast. I'm on the baby slopes, and by lunch, man, I am the master of the baby slopes. I got this figured out. So at lunch, someone says, "Well, let's go to the top of the mountain." Well, sure. So about two o'clock, we take the lift all the way to the top of the mountain. Nobody told me it's a lot steeper at the top of the mountain than it is at the bottom. Nobody told me how tired you get from a day of skiing because you're using muscles you've never used before. So we start down that mountain at the top at 2 o'clock, and by 4 o'clock, we're only halfway down, and we're exhausted because every 10 feet, somebody is falling. I remember laying there in the snow thinking to everyone, y'all just go on. Just go on. Leave me here all night. Just tell my mom and dad that I love them. I'm sorry I skipped school. (laughs) But what was really frustrating was that about every couple of minutes, a ski patrol would zip past Swoosh, 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 and shout, time to get off the mountain. Swoosh, 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 time to get off the mountain. Fool, I want off this mountain. (laughs) You don't know how bad I want on this mountain. I don't need you to tell me where I ought to be going. I need you to come and help me get there. (laughs) Now, there's a powerful word used over a hundred times in the New Testament. It's translated encourage. And that's not a strong enough translation. Because it literally means come along beside. And it's the word 
that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit. And so when you encourage, you are partnering with the Holy Spirit to help somebody get where they're trying to go following Jesus. Remember, Jesus didn't say anything about a right to privacy in his kingdom. So Philippians 2 says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Nobody here is going to disagree with me that we ought to love people. We all agree we should love everybody in principle. But who are you loving in particular? With whom is one another stuff happening? You see, when you came to Christ, when you were baptized into Jesus, that very same day you got ordained by the Holy Spirit to the ministry of maturing. Helping people be like Jesus. That's why the Bible says, for example, in Galatians 6, you share each other's burdens. And when you do this, you obey the law of Christ. That's why, for example, next weekend, we're just going to pray for people taking care of older parents. Because that's a heavy load. And we're going to help share it. You're thinking, but I'm too messed up. I need to get my act with God right first. You've got it backwards. Acting in love towards people is the path you take if you want to get your act with God right. That's why John says, if we don't love people, we can see. How can we love God whom we cannot see? And so, I didn't ask if you're in Bible class or in a small group. I asked, are you caring for anybody? Because if you're not investing in somebody, you don't have community. And you don't have community if you're not letting anybody invest in you. And so the second question, am I sharing about anything? Because it's not community if you are unwilling or unable to be honest about what's really going on in your life, both good and bad. Now, I realize sometimes you're willing and you're not in a context where it's safe to do that. I got a letter from a man that used to go to our church years ago when he had to move to South Texas because of a job change. He's looking for a church there. Now, he's had a lot of back surgeries. He lives all his life in constant pain because of back issues. Now, you've heard me say before, the official church answer when someone says how you're doing is fine. We just say we're fine and we don't tell the truth. I said, stop doing that. Be honest. So, so one day his wife's driving him to church and he has to take double pain medicine on church day just to go. And he gets out of the car with canes going up the steps to the front door of the church. And one of the elders of the church is there at the door and he knows he's going to say, how you doing today? He says, well, I, I remember what Rick said. I'm going to tell him the truth. So we did. And the elder responded, well, son, I think you just need to change your attitude and walked away. And he said, so from now on, when I go to church and everyone asks me how I'm doing, I just say, 
fine. And my heart broke. Because your follow life will be stunted if you don't have any relationships where you can be real. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Listen close. You cannot deny yourself if you never disclose yourself. Remember, Jesus is building a new kind of society. Now, out there, it's a culture of achievement. Everybody's keeping score. Everybody's passing out grades. Everybody's making the list of the winners and the losers. But we are not a culture of achievement in here. We are a culture of grace. We're all broken. We are all flawed. And that's why we confess our sins to each other. And we pray for each other so that we can get better, so that we can be healed. And this kind of sharing doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles where you follow around. We need to know about each other's weaknesses, about the burdens we're carrying. And we need to know about each other's victories. Because sometimes what keeps me following Jesus is just hearing about how alive God is in your life. I know you're thinking, well, that kind of vulnerability just doesn't come naturally to me. It doesn't come naturally to anybody. The flesh is natural and the flesh is always self-absorbed and self-protected. It takes supernatural empowering to live with people like this. And don't you know that when you signed up to follow Jesus, you signed up for a supernatural life. And God's going to help you overcome the flesh. That's why the Bible says, Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. And so, I've told you, and you already knew, I'm by nature introverted. I come by it naturally. I make my father look gregarious. (laughs) When we went to church as a child, we didn't get up and leave during the invitation song. But we were one of the first families that got to the car when the amen was said. And then my father and mother retired, and they moved back to Texas. And they needed to find a church. And the church they found close to their home asked everyone to be in a small group. That was way out of my father's comfort zone. He decided because my mom wanted to try it, he'd tolerate it. And then mom got cancer. And for five years, those people carried my parents and then when mom died 
And my dad went through the darkest season I've ever seen him grow through. Those sweet people carried my father. He's got two boys. We both live in Fort Worth. We both go to this church. He loves this church, and he won't move here because he won't leave his small group. Because it's not a group. It's community. You see, the way we another, it shows the whole world we're following a Savior like no other. Because love is missional. Following around is the way Jesus wants his gospel to spread around the world. That's why he told his disciples, John 13, your love for one another will prove to the world who my followers are. Not doctrinal correctness. Now, it's important to have good doctrine. But the world doesn't recognize doctrinal correctness. The world doesn't even recognize moral holiness because it has no standard by which to judge. Jesus says there's one thing you can leverage. One another, one another. Because the world can recognize a love story. I was reminded of that a month or so ago watching ESPN. And they shared a story that I could tell you, but I think it would be more powerful if you just saw it for yourself. So please watch the screen. There's so much in life we can't choose. Our families, our names, our challenges. But one thing we can choose is our friends. And sometimes, they're the greatest choices we make. Someone is there for you no matter what. It's all from the heart when it's a special bond. It's just somebody that always accepts you and knows you and gets you, no matter what you do, and uh, they'll always you know, be by your side. When you're the quarterback at Alabama with championship rings and NFL dreams, the entire state wants to be your friend. That's A.J. McCarron. That's not A.J. Starr. When I was born, the umbilical cord got caught around my neck, and it sort of cut off some of the oxygen to my brain. And so I kind of received brain damage. I don't really look at cerebral palsy as something like to be down, but I'll just keep going. Raised in Center, Alabama, Starr used sports as a way to belong. But by the time he entered high school, his mind worked much faster than his body. I wanted to compete, you know. I wanted to be out there, but due to cerebral palsy, I couldn't do it. Starr became a fan instead of one school and one team, the Crimson Tide. He enrolled in Tuscaloosa in the summer of 2012 and would watch practice through a gap in the fence. 
It was his only way to connect in a place he found unfamiliar and unfriendly. I thought I would be able to just start fresh, you know, maybe my difference wouldn't matter, but no, it's hard to make friends when you're different. The week before Alabama's 2012 season opener, the quarterback and the fan met by chance at a campus bus stop. I saw the two buses pull off and leave him, so I just hopped in the car and um, pulled out and pulled over by him. I just heard someone like scream, like, hey, you need a ride? I get closer and closer. I'm like, that's AJ McCarrick. He gets in and shut the door. Yeah, we start driving off, and I'm like, I'm AJ. Uh, you know, I play football here, and he's uh, he said, I know. We were just talking about Alabama football at first. Then we sort of was talking about cerebral palsy. Then I told him, I asked him, can I be a part of the team in any way? He's such a good kid, and he just wanted to be around the game, learning more about him, and I felt like it was my duty to kind of do something for him. After speaking with the team's head of operations, days later, McCarran called Starr to tell him the news. Well, we got you a job. I said, you're not getting paid, though. I said, man, I don't want money. I just want to be a part of the team anyway. I said, well, great. So, so you're going to work in the uh, equipment room? And he was just glowing. It's not a glamorous gig, but don't tell him that. In his second full season now, Star's responsibilities continue to grow. They've grown more because we can't get rid of them. <laughs> uh, he's there every day. You don't even notice that anything is, is different about him. Um, he's just one of the guys. Everybody calls him the real AJ and uh, messes with me, which, uh, you know, uh, he, he is, he definitely is the real AJ. I know a lot of guys love him and, and definitely love having him here. There are many things in life we can't choose, but they, the quarterback and the equipment manager, AJ and AJ, they chose each other. He saved me. I, I mean, I thought about just giving up because I couldn't make friends here. I couldn't be accepted. I felt like it was a message from above for us to be friends, and um, it's pretty cool that two AJs uh, definitely became friends in, in a way that it did. They're all my family here. I have the biggest and best family possible. I'm, I'm probably the luckiest guy in the world right now. Okay, now I'm going to be honest. I don't know if A.J. McCarron is a believer. And I do know that ESPN does not exist to promote Christianity. But I also know this. That someone high up once said, it's not good for man to be alone. There is a universal longing to be a part of family, to be connected, to know that you matter 
to somebody. Now Jesus said, go all over the world and do that. Do people better than anybody has ever seen it done. And they will know you are following me. There's all kinds of ways to respond to this sermon. Some of you need to send a text when you get back in your car and say, I'm sorry. Some of you need to make a phone call this afternoon and say, I forgive you. Some of you need to invite that person you just met out to lunch. Some of you need to stop sitting on the fringe and plug into this church. Some of you need to come and confess Christ and be baptized and join a new society. Some of you need to say, I'm carrying a load and I've been too proud to talk about it and ask for prayer. But everybody needs to respond. Stop messing around. And start following around. So let's all stand up. We're going to have some prayer people down at the front. I'm going to start the prayer. And as soon as I finish praying, we're going to worship. And you're going to respond. So Father, I'm asking right now that you supernaturally empower us to overcome the flesh. To overcome cowardice. To overcome the way we've been doing it. And step out into the life Jesus is calling us to. Give us the courage to take the first step. Whatever that step is. And to do it with somebody else. Because we want the world to know. How good Jesus is. And we know they're not going to listen. As long as we're talking by ourselves. So give us now the courage to respond. Whatever that means. For Jesus' sake. Amen.